0: 15, it says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were marching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had died already, already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Kevin. We have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark um, based on Peter's testimony about what he witnessed following Jesus uh, around Galilee and to Jerusalem we've seen how Jesus gathered together disciples, taught them, and formed them into the apostles. He led them to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of the disciples, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he's arrested. He's taken before the council of Jerusalem and condemned. He's taken to Pilate, who condemns him under Roman law. He's scourged, that is whipped, He is crucified, and we saw last Sunday that on the cross he died. And last Sunday we ended with this verse. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. The centurion was a Roman officer. He would have overseen many crucifixions. He would have seen many men die. There was something about the way that Jesus died that was distinctive that made the centurion recognize that something extraordinary had happened. Jesus didn't die exhausted. He didn't die um, unconscious, as most people who were crucified would have. He died strong. He cried out loudly as he died. We don't know exactly what the centurion saw, but it was incredible. And he, the centurion, was the first one to recognize that this truly was the Son of God. Verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalena, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. Some women were watching. They're not just random women. Notice they're all named. And it's striking. (coughs) If you've been going through the gospel uh, with me, These women just pop out of nowhere. Mark has not mentioned them at all, the entire gospel. Here we are in the 15th chapter. It's going to end in chapter 16. And out of nowhere, suddenly, we have a cast of watching women. If you had read the gospel up to this point, you would be forgiven for believing that the Jesus movement was just men, an all-male cast of followers who had gone to Jerusalem with him. But starting here and through into uh, chapter 16, which we're going to look, up, look at on Easter Sunday, it's all about women. The disciples have run away. They've abandoned Jesus. Only the women remain at this climactic point in the gospel. Clearly, the gospel of Mark wants us to pay attention to the women who followed Jesus. So... Um, This sermon is going to be about women, and don't worry, it's not all bad, but let's look at it from the perspective of these women who've suddenly appeared. Verse 41, in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to to Jerusalem were also there. Many other women. This was not just uh, 12 disciples following Jesus. There are six named women and many other women in addition to that. We learn from Luke's gospel that these women helped to support Jesus and his disciples out of their own means, out of their own wealth. This is remarkable given the time and the place. Who are these women? Why are these women there? You have to remember that this was a genuine patriarchy. You know, there's much talk about patriarchy in society today. But the world in the first century, Israel in particular, it was a genuine patriarchy. The daily prayers, that is, every day, Jewish men would pray this prayer. It included Praise be God that he has not created me a woman. That was the view of the men at that time. A woman's place was considered to be in the home. Philo, a Jewish writer of the time, taught that women should never leave the home except to go to synagogue. Men were not allowed to acknowledge or talk to women in public, even their own family, even their own wives. At the temple... Men and women were segregated. Women were restricted to the outer court. They were not permitted to read out loud. They were not to bear, allowed to bear witness in religious courts. They were not allowed to study sacred scripture. Rabbi Eliezer, who wrote in the first century, uh, the time of Jesus, said, rather should the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. So women did not have high status. They were not valued. They had very few rights. Typically, they belonged to either their fathers or their husbands. If they became widows, they had to, along with brothers, go outside. They weren't allowed to have property unless there was no other family member to inherit it. They could be divorced by their husbands simply saying a word. They were not allowed to divorce their husbands. To be a woman in that time and place was not a great thing to be. It was to be suffering. But Jesus treated women differently. And his movement treated women differently. Jesus defied religious orthodoxy and repeatedly challenged cultural norms by speaking openly and publicly to women that he did not know, including women that were even more taboo because of their race or a particular sin or a disease. Jesus had students. Mary of Mary and Martha fame sat at Jesus' feet in the posture of a a pupil, and she was not condemned, but commended by Jesus. Jesus met a Samaritan woman, the Samaritans who were considered unclean and outside the tribes of Israel. And yet at the well, Jesus spoke to a Samaritan and taught her about himself and about scripture. We read in God, the gospel of John that she went back to her village and that those who listened to her talk about Jesus became Christians That is a remarkable thing to have happened in that time and place. In fact, so remarkable that uh, John Paul II said this, This is an event without precedent, that a woman, and what is more a sinful woman, a Samaritan, would become a disciple of Christ. Indeed, once taught, she proclaims Christ to the inhabitants of Samaria, so that they too receive him with faith. This is an unprecedented event if one remembers the usual way women were treated by those who were teachers in Israel. Jesus is the first recorded teacher to have female students in Israel. Jesus talked to and touched and healed many women. The Samaritan woman alone at the well, the woman who had a flow of blood, Uh, A woman who is uh, in menstruation was considered ceremonially unclean. Any body or thing or place that she touched would have been considered unclean, that is, unholy. And yet Jesus commended her for touching him, and she was healed. The sinful woman, we don't know who she is. She might have been Mary Magdalene, who anoints Jesus with nard, with oil, dries his feet with her hair, it was considered outrageous that Jesus would let her touch him, and yet he commands her and he forgives her and points to her as an example of faith. The woman condemned for adultery, Jesus is the only one who stands up for her when she's going to be stoned. Jesus not only talked and touched and healed many women, he traveled with them, women who were not part of his family, as you've seen, women supported Jesus and his disciples out of their own means. That means that there were women, either widows or women who were independently wealthy somehow, who left their families, their towns, their tribes, who were independent of fathers and husbands, and traveled, left, gave up their comfort and traveled with Jesus and supported his ministry through the rough conditions of walking around Galilee and going to Jerusalem. We read at the beginning of the Christian church, if after Jesus' resurrection and glorification in the, the Gospels, if you go to the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Acts, the history book of the church, you learn what happened after Jesus returned to the Father. We read this. The Apostles returned to Jerusalem. That is, they've returned to the city after they've watched Jesus ascend to heaven. The Apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath-day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. The women who followed Jesus were there at the creation of the Christian church. They prayed together with the apostles for the creation of the Christian church. Jesus valued women, and in turn, these women loved Jesus. Nobody in their culture, their religion, their tribe, their families, their men had ever treated them with the respect and dignity that Jesus did. And they responded to that. There's one guy who shows up, verse 42. It was preparation day, that is, the day before Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. The twelve apostles who followed Jesus to Jerusalem ran away from him. They abandoned him when he was arrested and when he was crucified. The only one who stayed are the women who watch. And Joseph of Arimathea, who we learn in the Gospel of John, he's part of the council that is the ruling body of Jerusalem with the highest authority in Israel. He would have been a wealthy man. He's also a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he would have lost his position. He's bold because going to Pilate, the Roman administrator. Connects him with this condemned man, Jesus, a rebel condemned to death. And by associating himself with this man, Jesus, he's risking his position and he's risking everything. So, this was a very bold thing for Joseph to do. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Pilate was surprised because some people crucified could linger uh, catatonic unconscious on the cross for days. And in fact, many people who were put on the cross were not buried. They were just left to be scavenged by animals. But that was not true of Jesus. Jesus decided to die. He died strong, as we saw last week. And his body is redeemed by Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Although on the cross he died a criminal in shame and ignominy, Jesus was buried in a rock tomb that would have been a noble tomb. He died honorably according to Jewish ritual and custom. And there's one detail that um, Mark doesn't record, but I'm going to show you I think is important. John says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. That was where Jesus' body was put and the stone is rolled across the entrance to prevent scavenging animals, to prevent intruders. Verse 47. Mary Magdalena and Mary the mother of Joseph, Joseph saw where he was laid. Women again. In fact, from this point on, through into chapter 16, Jesus' resurrection, his appearance to Mary, Mary bringing the news to the apostles, the story is all about women from this point on. What does that mean? Well, we've seen the honor and respect that Jesus gave to women in an age that did not respect them, did not accord them the dignity that that the culture afforded to men. We've seen that women were significant followers of Jesus, making up perhaps the bulk of his followers, certainly following and supporting him financially as he traveled from Galilee down to Jerusalem. But is there anything else we can say about women at this point? So, I'm going to say something now, which is sort of a theory. Amusing. I've been trying to figure out this passage all week. Um, I'm not going to tell you absolutely that what I'm about to say is true. It's just an idea to keep in your head, okay? Just a theological daydream is the wrong word. Speculation. Why Mary Magdalena? She's in all the Gospels. She's referred to repeatedly more than many of the disciples and apostles. She's the one that's always picked out. She is the one that is going to go to uh, see the resurrected Lord and bring the first news. What is the big deal about Mary Magdalena and the watching women at the end of Jesus' life? So here's my speculation. As I'm sure uh, you've noticed as thoughtful people, women are uniquely wicked and cursed. Why is that? Well, in the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, we read in Genesis 3 a story about the fall of human beings, the fall of men and women. And it's all Eve's fault, the first woman. She is the one who first listens to the serpent, the lie of the serpent. She repeats that lie to Adam, corrupts him. She's the first to eat of the forbidden fruit, and she is the one that gives that fruit to Adam. And the result, this is Genesis 3.16. Your pains in childbearing will be very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Under the curse of sin, Eve not only came under the bondage of sin in a general sense, like all human beings, but was placed at a unique disadvantage in her relationship with Adam. God told her that her husband would rule over her. She would know pain, heartache, and subjection she would lose her voice. It would seem, here, as we come to the climax of the Gospel of Mark, that women, particularly Mary Magdalena, is given back her voice, her autonomy, and agency. Think of the parallels between Mark, uh, in fact, all the Gospels as they climax, they all talk about this, and Genesis. Genesis. Genesis talks about Adam and Eve in a garden. We see here that Jesus' tomb was in a garden. The Garden of Eden was guarded by an angel, a cherubim, who guards the way and prevents Adam and Eve from returning to the garden. When Mary goes to the tomb, we'll see this on Easter Sunday, there is an angel, but not with a blazing sword. He welcomes her, he greets her, He shows her the empty tomb. He's the one who tells her first the gospel, the good news about Jesus' resurrection. You have these two women, Eve, a blessed woman who brings a curse on herself and everybody else. You have Mary Magdalena. We learn from the gospels that she was cursed. She was demon-possessed. Jesus cast seven demons out of her. It's the reason that she followed him. And you have two, two words, two communications. Eve shared the first lie, told Adam to eat of the fruit, rebelled against God. What does Mary Magdalena share? The first gospel, the great truth, that Jesus is risen. What is happening here? Jesus doesn't just go to the cross in a general sense for everyone, although he does do that. We saw last week, Jesus became a curse for us and for all human beings to restore us from that curse. But also, he doesn't forget Eve. He doesn't forget women. There is a divine courtesy here. He restores Eve's lie by giving Mary Magdalena the truth to share. I have a a book, the Presbyterian Handbook for Pastors, and there's uh, an entry there for Mary Magdalena. And it calls her the Apostle to the Apostles because she is the first one to bring the good news, share the gospel with them. A divine courtesy. He has not forgot the curse that the woman received in the garden. And the first thing that he does when he's resurrected in the garden is take away that curse and give Mary Magdalena the truth. For a moment... The whole gospel, the whole truth of Christianity, is contained by one woman, Mary Magdalena, the only one entrusted with sharing that gospel with anybody else. The angel and Jesus tell her to go and share that gospel. There is a divine courtesy and attention in God's grace towards us. At that climactic moment, he did not forget Eve. He did not forget Mary Magdalena. Whatever the sin that contaminates your life, whatever the lie that steals your joy and happiness, it might feel like you are uniquely cursed. It might feel like you uniquely have a burden that nobody else understands, nobody else can hear that you don't share. But God knows and he does not forget, and he does restore. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. Nothing in God's economy is forgotten. His redemption is absolute and universal and includes every single one of us and every single part of us. Nothing is ever forgotten. Nothing is ever overlooked or ignored. Nothing is too small. Women were there first at Jesus' birth, and they were the last ones at the cross. They were the first at his grave, the first to see Jesus after he rose from the dead, and the first witnesses of his resurrection. The curse has been put to death because Christ redeems all things. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. That through you, all things are being renewed. All things are being redeemed. Every one of us, every corner of our life is being made new and whole and good. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, cleanse us, Lord. Shine your light into the dark places. Feed that which is good in our lives and put to death that which is not good, that is in rebellion against you, which is evil. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.